We have an Old Testament passage and a New Testament passage this morning. The Old Testament passage is Isaiah 25, uh, verses 6 through 9. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe all away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day, they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him, and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. The New Testament reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 through 18. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away, but their minds were made dull. For to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. As we begin our Advent season, we begin a season of waiting in the church, a season of frenetic craziness in the world, which belies the, what we're trying to do uh, here and in waiting. Uh, I, I was talking to the uh, women at the Women's Advent uh, Communion Breakfast yesterday, and, and my um, research for that came across uh, a quote from an old musical, uh, which has been um, sort of stood the test of time through the years, Mame, if, you'd, if you remember Mame, and in that musical. Mame is the aunt of a 10-year-old boy, and the boy's father dies, so she is then given responsibility to take care of this young man. And she's a bit more um, flamboyant, let's say, than her brother was. And even though they're both grieving, she wants to bring fun into this young boy's life. So she starts to sing a song, We All Need a Little Christmas. The boy interrupts her and says, but Auntie Mame, it's only one week after Thanksgiving. That was in 1966. We have changed dramatically since then, uh, as we all start needing a little Christmas since the end of August, at least the big retailers do. But waiting is hard for us, and I think we live in a culture uh, that is not equipped to wait. We don't like to wait. We don't usually have to wait, uh, except those of you who um, travel some of these roads for your commute. You might have to wait for the traffic to clear, but I bet you don't like it. My nephew is nine. He just turned nine, and 
Devin and I thought it would be really cool for him. He loves Lego, just loves Legos. And we thought it would be really cool to get him that Lego advent calendar where you have one uh, little Lego thing to put together each day for all the days of Advent. And he was asked if he wanted that, and he said no. <laughs> he did not see himself to be capable of not putting it all together the very first day. And some of you, maybe if you have those Advent calendars with candy in them, can relate. <laughs> Waiting, it's hard. We're not used to it, but it's important. It's an important spiritual discipline for us. And the fact of the matter is, there are some things over which we have no control, and therefore we must either wait or just not care about them. But Scripture tells us that there are wonderful things in store for us, and we need to wait for them. And the question is, how do we wait? And what are we waiting for? Isaiah here in Isaiah 25 gives us a picture of the future, a picture in which we will be united to God. God will wipe away all death and all sadness. And I love this part in um, here where he says he will wipe out all our disgrace. He will remove his people's disgrace from the earth. What a wonderful thought, isn't it? Do you carry around little bits of yourself that you don't like? Maybe you try to hide them from others. Maybe you try to hide them from yourself. Or maybe you just ruminate on what's wrong with you. Isaiah says God will wipe out every disgrace that we carry around. There will no longer be anything that will make us feel less than ultimately valuable. But it's interesting. This passage, this beautiful picture of this great banquet where everything will be laid out for us, all the riches, all the glory, all the wonder, and it will satisfy every need within us. It's a beautiful picture, and yet it is surrounded by judgment. Isaiah 24 through, I think, 27 is all about God's judgment, excuse me. And yet, here we have this picture. And what, what passage did I decide to preach on? The nice one, right? But let me read something to you. It is one of the grossest mental images that you may ever here, and it is right here in the Bible. Immediately following this passage, let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. The hand of the Lord will rest on this mountain, but Moab will be trampled in their land as straw is trampled down in the manure. They will stretch out their hands in it as swimmers stretch out their hands to swim. God will bring down their pride and their cleverness, and the cleverness of their hands. Beautiful picture of a grand feast where every need will be met, and then just the next verse, people will be trampled as if in manure. 
stretching out their hands, trying to get out of it, but going deeper. I forget why I brought that up. I think because it was so gross. The point is, it's the juxtaposition here is, is remarkable. It says God will, on this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that unfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The, solemn, the sovereign Lord will wipe the tears from, from all faces. God is inviting everyone to this banquet. God is inviting people from all over the world, every tribe, every nation, every language, are invited to this banquet. But there are some who will say no, who will say, I do not wish to go to this banquet. And then the judgment of God will fall. And that judgment is not beautiful. And the whole, most of the surrounding passage is about God's judgment. And we preachers tend not to read those passages. We tend not to present those passages to you because they're embarrassing. Because we, lo- we know that God loves us. We know that God is a God of love. And we desire to help you experience that love more and more. But if we're not reading all of Scripture, we're failing you. And it is important to recognize that God is holding out this invitation. He is saying, you are invited. You are invited to share in my glory. But I'm not going to force you. I'm not going to make you experience this. I'm not going to make you sit at this table with the finest of meats and the choicest of wines. And the natural result of saying no to God, the natural result of choosing to be separated from God is destruction. This passage tells us that he will swallow up death forever. What is death? In the garden, when uh, Eve and Adam sinned, when they decided not to trust God, what happened was they were separated from God. And that is the answer to what God had said, that they would surely die. And the the serpent said, you will not die. But death came into the world at that time. And death is separation. If you have had a loved one die, you know that pain of separation from that person. And when we separated from God, we embraced, in a sense, death. And every time we choose to be separate from God, we choose death. We choose that ultimate disconnection from God. But God holds forth an invitation to say, come, and you will find that the life I offer you is far more glorious than anything you can imagine. And refusing me is far worse than you could ever imagine. We have no idea how much God's grace fills our lives. 
We have no idea how much God's love impacts our day-to-day lives. God's grace to provide for us, God's grace to um, attend to our needs, God's grace to withhold judgment for this season. But when that grace ends by humanity's choice and God's bringing in the new kingdom, in that new kingdom there will be no room, no, no possibility for those who are choosing against God. There will be no room for death or anything that death brings. So those things will be gone. Choose. Choose to say yes to this invitation. And what is... What is Isaiah talking about when he says that God will remove his people's disgrace, the Lord, uh, wait, swallow up death forever, will wipe the tears from their face, he will remove their disgrace, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all people. And when we look at that sense of shroud, of course, a shroud is involved with death, a shroud is involved with separation, you cannot see behind the shroud, and and that's where we want to pick up what Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians, and he looks back to when the law was given, and Moses was face-to-face with God, and because he was face-to-face, well, not face-to-face with God, he saw God, but not face-to-face, actually, God passed by, and just that made his face shine so brightly the people couldn't even look at it. Like you can't look at the sun during an eclipse or really any time. It's not a smart thing to do because it is too bright. God's glory is too great for sinners to look at it. So he had to wear a veil just so the people couldn't, wouldn't have to see the reflection of God's glory. It was so great. And that, Paul explains, was the glory that came with the law. And he says the law is death. In other words, the law, as glorious as it is, is a law of righteousness, and that law brings death because we cannot fulfill it. We can't do everything that the law says. And there are some who worry, well, if we're criticizing the law, are we criticizing the Old Testament? Are we criticizing the Hebrew people? And I would say no, not at all. God demonstrates his righteousness by giving the law. And humanity demonstrates that we are not able to keep the law. So as God's revelation progresses through Scripture, God reveals a new way a new way in Jesus Christ. And the promise is that as Jesus died and rose again and sin was vanquished, that forgiveness that is available to us moved forward into the future so that that what he did impacts me. I can receive what he has done for me. But it also moves backward into the past that all who were faithful to God through the past, by not, not by their righteousness in their ability to obey the law, but by God's grace are received by God, by God's 
grace expressed through the covenant that God has called them to himself. It's all by grace. And that's the wonder of this invitation. God doesn't say, I want you to get your act together. I want you to overcome all those things in your life that you don't like and I don't like, or maybe those things that you like and I don't. And then when you get yourself together well enough, and I'll tell you when it is, you can come to my banquet. It's not how it works. And thank God it's not how it works. Because if that were how it works, I wouldn't be there. And I don't think you would be either. Because God says... In Jesus Christ, the veil is torn away. In Jesus Christ, the sin is gone. And in Jesus Christ, you are welcome, not because of anything you've done or not done, but because of God's grace, and his grace is huge. It is big enough to forgive all of your sins. God, when he extends this invitation, has no restrictions. He doesn't say that there is anything else that needs to happen except that you say yes. And sadly, not all will say yes. But I pray that we will say yes. And we will know this joy that he desires to share with us. Face to face. Do you realize how huge that is? Moses did not see God face to face, but he saw a glimpse of God, and it was overpowering. We get to see God face to face. And as we gaze on the face of Jesus Christ, we are transformed, as it says here, from one glory to another. Now, I don't know about you, but, um, well, it's hard to look someone in the eye for a long time, right? Right? I try to do it with the dog. She gets freaked out. <laughs> I do still remember, though, the day at Old New York and State College where I noticed the color of Devin's eyes. <laughs> it, was last, it was last September. <laughs> Just kidding. We'd been dating for a while, but you know... You have to have a certain sense of comfort, a certain sense of intimacy to engage someone in the eyes. And I looked at her eyes and I saw how beautiful they are. <laughs> but I couldn't keep staring at them because it would have freaked her out. <laughs> Because there are still things about us that we are ashamed of. There are still things about us that we, we can't be known that well. We can't be known that intimately. We can't allow ourselves to be known at that level. Or we really might not want to know someone else at that level. But God says that we can be known by him at that level, and he knows us at that level of intimacy. 
There is absolutely no way that I would want God to know me that well unless I were confident that everything about me that disappoints him is gone. And that's the assurance we have in Jesus Christ. So as we come to the table today, we look back to what Jesus accomplished, and we come to the table confidently because we know that God desires to share his glory with us. But we also come to the table knowing that we, we're not experiencing it 100% yet, but there will come a day when we will gather at this table. Everything will be right Everything will be good. We will look God in the face and experience nothing but love and acceptance and joy. And in that, there will be glory. We will gather together with people that we've known and people that we've not known in this world. And there will be nothing but joy because no one will be there on their own merit so there will be no need to compare, no need to feel bad about ourselves because we will all be united in the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And for that, we wait. And as we go through challenges in this life, we wait. We wait for that day when it will all be made right.